This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is the besotted Pride of West London post-playoff final podcast. And we're coming to you from a, a completely brand new location because we thought it's time to change things up a little bit. A little bit of feng shui, as they say. And so we are actually in the Magistrates Court down Brentford High Street. It's called Verdict. It's a little cafe, a lovely little cafe. The guy here, Aaron, who owns it, he's a lovely bloke. Come in here and say hello. Say, besotted said you as well. But I can sit to you in uh, the Magistrate Court down Brentford High Street, Verdict, and we're sitting here and we are pontificating. We are hanging out after probably 10, 11, 12 days after we lost to Fulham, the F word, in the playoff final. We went away. We chilled out. We thought about it, or we didn't think about it, and now we've come back and we feel a little bit better about the situation. My name's Billy Grant, and like I said to you, I'm sitting here. I think this is where the judge must have been sitting. He must have been handing out all sorts of fines in this right spot right here. And Laney, um, do you feel judged? I thought you were going to say, is this the first time you've been in a magistrate's court? And the answer to that would be no. But, yeah, um, but yeah. it's certainly not the first time I've been in this magistrate's court, I can tell you that, but we shall move on. Naughty boys, I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm all right, mate. Um, yeah, I, I, I buggered off for a week. I, uh, I went to Greece and uh, I, dr- I drowned my sorrows. Now, I, I, got, I needed a bit of a change of scenery anyway. Been a, been a very, very good boy in lockdown and uh, I needed to just get some, uh, you know, some R&R. So, uh, yeah, I, got, I kind of put, put that um, Fulham night... A little bit out of my system by doing that so uh, yeah I'm looking forward to talking about it again in a kind of perverse way though I mean we're going to talk about it again but you know that that night was, was another playoff loss and these things are hard as a football fan if you're really really into it they're very hard to get over I mean this is 10 days or 11 days later now you know nearly two weeks later I mean what did you do to kind of kind of get your mind off it or, or just thinking back on, on, on what happened then, you know, that you actually feel probably a little bit better about it, or maybe you don't. I don't. I don't think I feel better about the defeat at all, to be honest with you. Um, I think it helped that we weren't there in the end as a, as, as a losing finalist. It helped. Um, we didn't see any any Fulham fans to kind of rub it in. Um, uh, the fact that it didn't, it, it was a it was a local derby because there weren't fans there. It didn't quite seem as so intense. 
Um, and, you know, I escaped within 48 hours and kind of really did put it out of my mind. Coming back and kind of remembering the night ahead of talking about it today, you know, this morning on the podcast. Um, I don't remember a huge amount about the game itself. I think that's going to be eradicated. We'll talk about the game itself. I, I think there was the circumstances that made it is going to make it feel a lot a bit a lot easier. Um, the fact that I don't I don't think ultimately we were good enough to go up. I think we were probably the second or third best team in the division on our day but you know those those days because of the um, you know the inexperience of the team and the fact that we had a lot of games a lot of points to catch up on in the and that kind of like mad scramble to, to reel everyone else in it took its toll um, so so on the on the night I think you know it could have been a nil nil all the way through and could have been penalties on another night um, and it took a you know a, a jarsy free kick that was taken in a wrong position to, to to break the ice but you know I think ultimately if I'm being philosophical if there was one season if you could choose it as a fan not to go up it probably would have been this one because we can't go to any of the games probably for a good half of that the season to come so if we do go up to the Prem I'd actually quite like to be there and, and see some of the, the, the games so yeah I mean it's it's going to be tough to take um, I'm not necessarily going to put a brave face on it just for the hell of it but you know I think there's a lot to be excited about for the new season and that's going to be here before we even know it so I think that will help us get over it because we're going to be back in football mode. Listen, you know, listen we've, we're all dealing with it different ways. I know the Allard as well. I mean, I know that you are a man of pontification and uh, you have been pontificating quite hard quite now. And have you actually managed to kind of get your head around this loss? And uh, are you feeling a bit better about it? Yeah, I suppose I am. I mean, you're never going to be happy straight after the game. You're sitting there, you're involved, you've invested a lot into it. And, um, you know, and, and after the game, we just sat there and I think we had a few drinks and we listened to some new order and that, you know, and that was that, that kind of helped to some extent and then a decent night's sleep. And I, I, I think the way I've put it now is that for me, there were two sort of minor miracles. Well, there weren't miracles, actually, but there were two unusual things that happened at the end of the season. One is we won eight games on the spin, which was bonkers. That doesn't happen very often. And then the other thing is we threw three opportunities to go up away. And I kind of think they balance each other out. If the first thing doesn't happen, you don't get the opportunities. And, and I don't think you'd really expect either of the two to happen, but that is the way football plays out sometimes. So I kind of have come to the conclusion that, you know, it... It is just one of those things. I, I, I'm not going to give you, oh, it wasn't time for us to go up. Um, you know, we'll be better not going up. I don't really buy that because I think the financial rewards of going up were so massive that there can never be a time not to go up, if that makes sense. So I, I'm not really buying, you know, I, I don't buy that. Um, I think we might be better equipped if we go up next year or the year after, quite possibly. Um, so I, I kind of buy that. But but I'm not going to I'm certainly not going to tell you that you know really it was better we didn't go up because I don't buy that at all not at all listen and I've got great pleasure actually to to welcome to a first ever podcast we've been trying to get her on for ages and ages Joe Joe Whelan who actually just to give a little intro it's her fault actually that I'm probably doing this and you see me on the terraces and do all the Brentford stuff because Joe actually took me down to Brentford years and years ago when we were playing football on Marlborough football pitch in Isleworth and she just lined up a load of kids down the high street walked about 15 of us down the high street talked to some character called Paddy on the turnstile said Paddy can you get us all in and he bunked us all she bunked us all in 
over the turnstiles into Brentford Football Club and after that I was a bit like whoa this is quite wicked and I became a Brentford fan so it's all Joe's fault so you can blame us so Joe it's your fault that we have gone through this misery yet again and you've had even more misery as well in a way haven't you? Yes indeed I have after being with my other half for 28 years who is a Fulham fan Um, I hate to say it but you know I love him and that's it, but he is a Fulham fan. Um, and it, it's been hard to take for me. It's, you know, he... Yeah, no, he's a good bloke. He's a good bloke. Yeah, he, he, Chris is a good bloke. And for you, a Fulham fan. Yeah, and you, you, all like, you all like him, which is good. And he, he handled it a lot better than what I had done if I had won. I would have been going absolutely mental, jumping around our holiday home. But he took it all in good stead. But what he's doing now, now we're home, is every time I come downstairs, there's a rerun of the match. And we didn't even watch it because we were away on holiday. And that's the thing, you watched all the games. I mean, he came down to the globe with us as well and he was in the garden and he was watching all the game ironically as a Fulham fan in the garden with us as well until it came to the final and then you decided to go away yep we decided to go away the holidays was booked because we both worked all through the the lockdown and everything um and we also made the decision that we were going to have a barbecue on the beach and not watch the game I think I would have come back to London had it been against Swansea but Against Fulham, I just thought, no, I'll, I'll stick with him. He didn't want to watch the game because he knew that he was. we were favourites to win. Um, everything, the success, it was all for Brentford. Fulham like, were like the underdogs. Was he scared? Oh, he was shitting a brick. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. He just, he, he just knew that he was going to get absolutely thrashed. Um, but unfortunately, the... Something was on the other foot that night, wasn't it? So, how did you find it? How did you find out about the result? Did you follow it on your phones, or did you just wait and look at the result? Well, I'll tell you, Chris is a gambler, and he. We were sitting in the chalet. We were in by them. We were sitting in the chalet, and I don't know if you know on gambling apps, it always comes up ten seconds before. And by this time, it was like ten o'clock, and we thought the game would be over. So our phones were off. We didn't even have our phones on because I get updates all the time. Um, and he put the phone on, and just as he put the phone on, he went, "They've scored," and I went, "Who?" And just at that moment, my phone went beep beep, and it was like Fulham. 1-0 and I just looked at him and said fucking hell no way and that was it it was just I was just sitting there I just didn't I didn't know what to do and he just went sorry and I went what you sorry for I said what are you sorry for and like we just I said turn your phone off turn your phone off so then we turned our phone off till about quarter to 11 and then obviously the final score come up and that was it so we didn't even watch the game yourself you're, 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 you're a better person than me because there's no way I could have gone through that match without watching it's absolutely no way in the world it would just be too much for me is it Joe's fault that you were on the Jack Whitehall show last night as well it was about it was about plucky losers ironically the whole the whole show and then they showed the England defeat in the last World Cup and there's you with your head in your hands minus your trilby <laughs> tell you something I didn't, somebody messaged me actually Paul Holland to be fair messaged me I was actually watching the, that Paul uh, that Paul Whitehall um, Jack Whitehall show I was actually watching it and then I thought tell you something I'm not really feeling this it's all about losers and about kind of like you know especially you after the playoffs and I literally switched it off and, I t- and literally as I turned it over actually I went to watch the news instead and then literally as I turned it over I got a message going you're just on the, the Jack Whitehall show and I just thought oh that's typical isn't it and I didn't think it, but I didn't know what it was about. But I think that probably sums up, as a Brentford fan, what this is all about 
all about losing. It was, it was just ironic. It was a, pro, a whole program about plucky losers and kind of like how ingrained losing is into our psyche as a as a, as a nation. But like obviously under the microscope with a Brentford head on, you coming up and being Brentford related, it was just like perfect timing, really. Uh, again, it's, it's, it's totally unbelievable. I mean, for me, it's really weird because I was, you know, again we went down and and after you know I have to go back and say that you know the lockdown period for me was brilliant. You know, because the fact is that it was such a dark time, but this was a bit of an outlet for us. So, you know, we had so much fun, you know, making the arrangements, going down the pub, sort of meeting up and chatting and seeing all mates and just having a bit of a laugh. So that was all good, you know, as far as we're concerned. And I was just thinking, you know, we could have been like a Blackburn fan or a Reading fan, you know. Could you imagine going through that lockdown as being a fan like that? At least we got some excitement out of it. So I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed the sessions down the pub, really enjoyed all the banter that we had, loads and loads of sort of kind of banter on the phone, WhatsApp, whatever it may be online. So, listen, we can't knock that out at all you know going down to Wembley Stadium with my daughter just before the match walking down there walking around the stadium taking photographs taking her out for a little bit of a you know a little, little ice cream and a little bit of a you know a, a little bit of Sunday you know around the stadium beforehand like maybe what you would have done on the day just going through all those things you know you can't take any of that away and then we came to the match which was great and also Marcus Bean was in the pub with Captain Mark Phillips as we call him uh, two ex-Beezers and they're supporting their old club they're all in, you know, ex-players in the pub. I think Sam Saunders was around the court. So there was a really, really, really good and positive atmosphere. But I have to admit, when it cut to about sort of 70 or 80 minutes, I was actually thinking to myself, I-, I want this to be over. I want this to stop because it was getting to the stage where we weren't anywhere like what we, I thought we were going to be like. And it could go horribly wrong. And I just thought, I want this to end. It was, it was just, you know, the, the pub was most, most, most silent. I've seen it for all the matches. People weren't like going beforehand. They were cheering, and but you know, only Jason who'd be listening to this now. He's the only person who was singing and trying to get everybody else up. But everyone else was too nervous, and it was just silence in there. And everyone was feeling a bit sick to the bone, and probably thinking this isn't actually this enjoyable because you're not there. We're not playing very well. Fulham look like they can have us at any time, and we just kind of want this to just end. Let's just score a goal and finish, or let them score a goal and just finish. And so, and I think when. They, you know, and we'll talk about it later. When they scored, it was just, it was just a horrible feeling. So to go away, you know, afterwards I came back. Social media was minimal. Didn't talk very much about football. Didn't talk about football at all. And I went away to Brighton for a few days. It was brilliant. Just getting away in the sun, just hanging out, you know, family, and just chilling out and everything like that. And I think it's just enabled us to come back now and have a slightly more kind of perspective on the whole situation so when we can talk about it we could we could actually talk about how they played and we're going to talk about it a little bit later as well about how the Brentford played how Fulham played how things may or may not panned out so I think it's been a really good thing and I think as Brentford fans we're real experts as you say in losses just probably as England fans are as well in this country in the fact of not getting victory and uh, you know here we go again but we've got a massive 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 podcast on here we've got so so many things to talk about after being away for so long it's trying to squeeze three shows into one so we'll obviously be chatting about the playoff final against Fulham Uh, we'll be hearing what the fans had to say after the match as well we'll also be asking where did it go wrong for Brentford we'll ask the opinions of a load of football experts we've got football experts lined up and they're going to tell us why Brentford didn't quite get over the line we'll be talking to Ryan Diltz from the second tier podcast we've got Caroline Barker from Sky Sports we've got Marcus Bean XB as well who is in the house who is in the globe watching as well all these guys are going to be giving us their thoughts on why Brentford didn't quite cross the line plus we'll also talk to 
Ted Knutson from Stats Bomb. And we'll be listening to a clip from the full podcast interview with Ted, which is going to be out on Pride of West London on probably about Wednesday, which is the two-week anniversary of our loss to Fulham as well. So you should check that out. Ted Knutson, fascinating guy, knows his numbers, knows his football, and we had a good old chat to him, and we're going to be playing a clip from that later on in this podcast. Also, we'll be harking back a little bit. We'll be asking, was this Fulham loss really that bad? And we did a little poll, and we asked well, lots and lots of fans, where did this defeat come with respect to all nine Brentford playoff defeats which was the worst and which was the least worst and there's nine of them and we went through that we'll be talking about that as well which might actually make people feel a little bit better plus we'll also be taking a brief look on what is happening in and around Griffin Park on and off the pitch but anyway we've got loads to talk about we're going to have a little twang we're going to have a little bit of tea a little bit of a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Fulham and that playoff final so Brentford got to Wembley for the first time since 2013 when we played Yeovil in the playoff final. We had finished third that season. We had gutted because we, uh, as you know, we'd missed a penalty in the final minute. Doncaster scored. They went up and we didn't. And we went to Wembley that year. We felt it was justified that we should have gone up and we didn't. We lost to Yeovil that year. We finished sixth. Absolutely gutting. Yeah. This season, we went to Wembley again in the playoff final. We finished third. Fulham finished just below us. We finished on equal points, to be fair. You know, so it was much more even between the two. But Brentford was a side where when we came into the lockdown, we were on fire and no one wanted to play us. But, you know, some people might say that we stuttered a little bit as we came to the end. But we finished off on a great note against Swansea and we went into that match confident. But in the end, it just didn't quite work out. Fulham, two. Brentford won. Yes, we did score a goal in the final seconds of that match, but Fulham undid us in extra time with a free kick, which has gutted a number of people. Listen, we've listen, we've discussed this amongst ourselves, but we thought, first of all, as well, let's go over to a few people that we respect their views, some footballing experts out there, people that talk about football all the time. And we spoke to Ryan Dilts from the Second Tier Podcast. This is what he had to say about Brentford's loss against Fulham. I thought the playoff final showcased two defences that were particularly sturdy, but going forwards, that wasn't really the case from a Brentford perspective. I think the defence, probably in themselves, seven out of tens, but the midfield and forward line wouldn't give them more than a five out of ten. I thought Matthias Jensen in particular was particularly poor. And the front three just seemed too worried about doing something wrong and they didn't want to take a chance and really create something. So I think that's where it's gone wrong for Brentford. Uh, next season, I'm still very optimistic about their chances of getting promotion. One of the main reasons for that is because the championship next season is looking a bit weak in terms of standout promotion contenders. Like this season, you could have picked five or six teams who could have got automatically promoted. Next season, there's not a standout favourite, but I put Brentford as my favourites. I know Ben Rama, Watkins likely to leave and there may be one or two others who could go as well. But if they manage to keep that core side together, then they're still one of the strongest sides in the division. And when you consider Tarek Fosu's coming in, he'll be a direct replacement for Ben Rama, I imagine. And as long as they can replace uh, Ollie Watkins, then I think Brentford will be good enough to go again next season. So that was Ryan Dilt from the Second Tier Podcast. And in effect, he said that brilliant defence, but your midfield and your forwards were on fire. And he picked out as well Jensen in particular. Fair comment, do you think, Laney? 
Yeah, probably. Um, you know, there was a lot of Brentford players on the day that just didn't perform to the standards we we hoped they would. You know, to 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 win that game, we all knew that we needed our players to be at the top of their top of their form, and we, you couldn't kind of have half the team playing five or sixes out of tens. Um, you know, with only one or two players like eight nines and tens so it, it was always going to require Brentford to be in the kind of like rich vein that we'd seen in the early part of the post lockdown matches you know and, but Fulham did a number on us they they, they, they pressed us um, we had to go long again in stages during that game and we know that we, we that's not really the way we want to play and it, and it did appear at times that we were we were trying to kind of head to um, grabbing it, like grabbing a late winner. Um, sort of, you know. I think we we escaped with our lives early on a couple of couple of three times, where you know on another day Fulham could have been two up up two up at the break. I thought second period we played better, um, and, I, and I think you're right what you said. You know, at seventy minutes we were like wanting it to be over. And during extra time as well, I thought we played okay in the extra time, but it looked like we were just like ed- edging it there and hoping we would get one chance to break through, which went their way. But I remember sitting there in the garden with, 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 my, with my post-lockdown crew thinking, so, what's going to happen? This game has to be decided tonight. Where's the where's this where's the the breakthrough moment going to come? You know, is it really going to go to penalties, which I kind of flippantly joked about beforehand? Um, and I, I just honestly thought it, it might go our way. You know, we just might have ridden our luck in the early part of the match, and we might get a, a lucky breakthrough. But it just didn't. You know, and we, we can squabble over, you know, whether the, the free kick that you know it was a great it was a great. You know, moment of inspiration that he spotted Raya, you know, too far off of his line, or sort of like to the middle of the goal and curled it in, you know. But um, I just think, you know, if with VAR in in the finals, I think VAR should be there for the playoff semi finals and the final itself um, because the, the free kick was 10 yards further forward than the foul happened. So, you know, on another day, we get, we get that break. Again, and we talked about this on the Ted Knutson um, interview as well, which you can, like I say, here on Pride of West. London. It should be out maybe a few days after you listen to this one. But just coming back to that, because it's interesting, this wasn't actually pointed out by, I didn't notice it on social media or anywhere else at all, actually. It was only pointed out by somebody within our own group who pointed it out about a week or 10 days afterwards. And it's almost like nobody noticed it. What exactly is this point that you're talking about here, Laney? Where the, where the foul happened and where the free kick was taken were two different points on the pitch and the, the free kick was taken way way forward from where the foul how far well according to the the tweet i mean again i've not i've not gone back and studied the game but he, he reckons it was 10 yards further forward 10 10 yards further back that ball it can't be hit with the power to to to, to go in like it did so i mean you know yeah you could say we're clutching the straws but that it's actually quite a big moment in the game you know it's like along with goal line technology um you know it, it led to a goal so any incident that leads to a goal should i think be scrutinized at a, 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 you know, a game that's got such magnitude for, for, for the national game, you know, um, it's, it's, it's imperative that the results that we get in these playoff finals are 100% squeaky clean if, if they can be. And, you know, yeah, OK, yeah, you're right, no one else picked it up, but that's what VAR would have, um, it would have helped identify people in, a, in, a, in an office or in a, in a studio 
looking at every angle and yeah you could say looking for a reason not to give it but that is making sure that there's every reason to give it and okay yeah you know we are clutching the straws slightly um, but I think you know it's an important factor what I will emphasise though is what I did quite like after the match is that Brentford lost that game and we say fair and square there wasn't the case of blaming the referee there wasn't the case of blaming anybody which I think was was quite good Brentford fans on the whole turned around put their hand up said they lost that and even even the even the Swansea game when we lost that game even though the referee was blamed to sort of say, we didn't pin it on that you know we didn't pin it on that and I think this is what's really good is our acceptance as to knowing how good we are we know how good we need to be to win certain games and I think with this game we knew that we were good enough the fact is though however even though we weren't good enough the point I think means is that that game could have gone either way if the referee had decided to give us that 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 that, that decision which wasn't given to us but we're not sitting around there moaning as other fans and I'm not going to mention their name but I think you probably know who I'm talking about would have done if that decision was given against them um, massively we're just saying listen it's, it's a point and, and it's a fair point you've made Lane. yeah well, we are but there, there's a lot of Brentford fans and I'm not saying right or wrong I'm not saying it's us versus them there's a lot of Brentford fans saying we bottled it and, and we always bottle it on the big on the big stage which is you know they're, they're, it's, a val- it's a valid argument um, so you know we're, we're saying that you know we're not you know, we're not crying our eyes out and bitching, and we've got you know a philosophical head on. But there's you know there's, there is a counter argument to that, saying that Brentford once again um, they, they 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 shit their pants on the big stage. And again, we're going to the Ted Knutson interview. We should say there's be a little clip of this a little bit later, and we talk about that quite a lot. But also the full interview, really really interesting. And like I said to you, definitely definitely check that out. He's a big statistician. He also knows a lot about Brentford. He knows a lot about football as well. The Allard, listen. We're talking about Ryan Diltz's views there about the, the, the midfield and the forwards who weren't quite on their game that lost us. Do you agree that? I think it's. Um, I think you can make that argument more so if you don't watch us play regularly. Uh, I think, you know, to be honest, I'm still going to go with the Fulham did a job on us. They did not allow us to play through the midfield. And, and you, you can say Jensen wasn't in it for the first 20, 25 minutes, but he wasn't in it because he didn't get the ball. And he didn't get the ball because no one passed to him. Uh, that's a simplistic way of saying it. But, you know, Jensen isn't the player that goes out and wins the ball. Against Swansea in the second leg, you know, you saw Jensen on the ball more. He had more space and he had more room. And that was because Swansea weren't doing the same job on us that Fulham did. In the first, I think in the first five minutes, um, we, we had to go long twice to Watkins. And I mean proper long, like hoofs at, towards him rather than decent balls through to him. You know, that Jensen ball against Swansea that he played through to him, nothing like that opened up. We were going long to Watkins. We went, and I've just looked back at what I said, we went, back, we went long five times in the first 15 minutes, which is probably two or three times more than we do in a game normally in terms of a hopeful hoof up to him and that's what Fulham limited us to and that and and unfortunately I very remember I, I recall sitting there thinking we are proper up against it in this game I think like you say we know when we're playing well and we know when and I don't know it's about not playing well when we're not allowed to play well and you know maybe it's somewhere in between because we've got to work out how to play against these teams but I think we all knew and this is why a lot of people we know haven't been sort of you know shouting the odds about the Fulham game is because we know that 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 wasn't a performance that necessarily deserved a Brentford win is the point not saying that we bottled it I'm just saying it wasn't a performance that deserved a win the same against Swansea in the first leg when we were all relatively philosophical about it um, 
Swansea in the second leg, we saw a performance where we, if you lose that game, then you're spitting because you know that that game we deserve to win and a couple of bad referee decisions in that game that goes against us and you're properly spitting. So I, I think it was just one of those, it, it was fine margins and in the end, that you know, the fine margins fell Fulham's way. Joe, I mean, I know you didn't see the game as such, but... I mean, you could you, you talked about the, the the fact that you've got to earn it. You talked the fact that also, especially having a Fulham other half who's been playing the game back. You know about Fulham doing a job on you, and also you saw the semi-finals and you saw previous matches where we didn't quite get to to where we were meant to be. I mean, your thoughts on Brentford overall going to this final? Did you, in retrospect, see this coming? I think so. Yeah, because. We, sometimes we're just not consistent and you have to give the 100% and play like we can play all the time. You've got to see how these teams are playing against us and change our game if we need to. You know, if Jensen's not getting the ball or our midfield is, is not working well, do something about it, but do it earlier. So, I mean, we didn't, we didn't, we didn't quite get the result that we were meant to, but listen, we could talk about that as much as we want to but listen we've got football experts as we say people who we trust who are giving us their view Caroline Barker from Sky Sports also watched the match and this is what she thought about Brentford losing to Fulham Hello I'm Caroline Barker and I'm found hanging around the EFL for Sky What happened? What happened? Uh, was it pressure? I don't know. I likened it to that, that first bit after lockdown. You were like Chris Akabusi in that 4 by 400 metre. No pressure, seeing it all in front of you and yet you just gradually close them down. But in truth, it was a remarkable run and no one likes that. No one likes that, you know, we would have taken that prior to lockdown. But it was. Some of the football you played under Thomas had us all salivating. I'm sad for you, I'm sad for the fans, for Griffin Park. It was all teeing up, it was all teeing up. But maybe look at it another way. You wouldn't have wanted to have not been there for the Premier League at the new ground at the start. Who knows where we'll be when it kicks off again. And I can't wait to see what Thomas pulls out for next season. Him, that that tactics board. I know there's worry about who stays, but you've built before, you will again, and you know his brand of football is a joy to watch. I just wanted to say, as he can't edit this out, a thank you to Billy and the team. Your podcast is always and will always be invaluable. I think it's, it's just one of the many fans' podcasts that don't get enough credit for the insight, the humour, the essential listening. So thank you. And if there's a positive for next season, we'll all get to hear you talk EFL. I love Caroline Barker, actually. She's wicked because she's on point. She knows her football all the way down from non-league football where she started all the way through to the EFL and she's got a great little spot there on Sky and she knows what she's talking about if you listen to her so thanks Caroline and thanks for your support she's got friends on both sides as you know you know you know her really well but also the Fulhamish camp as well so she knows how gutted we were not doing that Chris Akabusi though I mean Chris Akabusi we were described as a younger like you probably don't remember Chris Akabusi but he was uh, he was a bit of an athlete wasn't he yeah, he's like a, yeah, he's, he's a, an iconic GB athlete, and uh, yeah, he, he always had a perfect uh, timing. So yeah, there's, 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 other, there's others. You know, I always thought Mo Farah was a, another brilliant one. To he, he always got sat on someone's shoulder right until it suited him, and he knew that he had he had the skill and the, and the, and the stamina and the, and the and the finishing pace to to get him over the line first. You don't often win races by leading from the front, and you know, I, I just ultimately we just ran out of steam, Bill. Yeah, I, I, I think. I think you can go to the cycling, you know, the cycling sprint races on the circuit where you don't, 
this, nobody really wants to lead it out. It's almost easier to be the person coming from behind, exactly what we were for the for the eight games where we chased it down. And then it switched, and we became the favourites. We became the cyclists leading it out. And at that point, it's only really the greats that can nail it, leading from the front. And maybe we just weren't quite there. Also, after the match, we also spoke to the fans. We normally do this after the match, right after the match, to hear the fans' views. We decided it wasn't right to put it out straight afterwards because everyone's hurting too much. But it's interesting to hear people's views straight after the match, a week or so after the event happened. This is what the fans had to say straight after the match. Tonight was a um, a real tense affair, I thought, and. Like we've been here before with the playoff finals and the semi-finals and all sorts of nonsense. And I thought if we got off to a good start and dominated early, we were going to win the game. And it didn't happen. And Fulham really took charge early. And I thought Parker got his tactics, to be honest, spot on. He made changes. He, he, he made a, a more like defensive industrious formation. And they really dealt with us. And... It made it really hard for us to attack and flow. And that made it a bit of a shootout. And all my group were talking about it's going to take a moment of magic to win the game. And that's what happened. The free kick was a, like, a moment of brilliance. We've, we've done our best and we've tried our hardest. And we've just been outdone today. And I think we did. And I, I hate to say it, but I think the best team won. I think the best team won the game. And I can live with that. And I still stand by the club. I still, I think the bees are doing amazing. This isn't the end of Brentford, of course. It would be lovely next year to go into it, but it's not, it's not to be. Next year, in September the 12th, first game of the season might have been Liverpool away. We can't go. Second game, Green Man United at home. We can't go. Third game, we Chelsea away. We can't go. So, listen, as, as lovely as it would have been to go up tonight, like obviously we wanted to, but I think next year we go into the season a strong team. We will lose players will earn money from them and the squad will get better and bigger and I think next year we are a strong team we'll be one, we'll be one of the favourites to go up with a new stadium listen this is not the end of the world mate you know fair play to them they won the game they outplayed us they done great but I can live with that but we're still moving forward this game is gutting but it's sort of not gutting in a way because I've been to other games where I've been really gutted. Brentford games, England games, where I felt that we were not justified in the result and I felt really hard done by, you know, things like I was there at Italia 90 when England played Germany and I felt we should have won that game and we didn't, we were now on penalties. 96, I was there behind the goal again, England penalties, Germany. I thought we should have had that. So many games that I felt, you know, that we could have had it, you know, Doncaster, you were gutted. But this game, even though we were, there was just, it was one of them ones where I just thought, tell you what, after about 75 minutes, I was thinking, listen, if we lose this, it's not as if we, you know, it's been a bad one because we didn't really deserve to win. You know, you look back at all these matches and like you say, you can sit there and think about games where you think, we so deserve to win that. That was ours for the taking. But if I'm honest, if you look at, you know, we should have beaten Stoke at home. That would have given us a chance against Barnsley. So, you know, second leg, we were, we were fantastic, against, fantastic against Swansea. 
but you knew tonight that you know it was you know it just wasn't for us this evening um, and I think maybe that's why as much as we kind of thought you know we were only 20 minutes away from Premiership maybe it's not our season we've got a nice new stadium coming up this season we'll enjoy that for a season bed it in and then we'll go up as champions next year it's all about the supporters it's always always about the supporters you know whether you know you went Cardiff away keep your way with you've been at home game the fans we've been through a lot we've seen a lot teams different managers players stadium all the changes but the fans are so passionate you know this evening we're all sitting in the globe and we have been for the last couple of matches and you're seeing the same faces you're chatting see someone with a Brentford shirt you can have a chat there's, there's, there's something about Brentford fans you know it's right to the core most passionate fans in the world really are yeah I, I think uh, you know respect to Fulham they got their tactics right uh, Scott Parker got it got his uh, the positional play of the players they neutralised our attack they bossed the midfield I don't think we really froze if we did we froze only at the beginning of the first half I thought we played quite well in the second half we'll be back stronger we'll be back next season Yes, we will, we will have to sell players, but we will replace them. And we will have that extra maturity, experience, maybe even professionalism that we need. 367 days ago, when we played Birmingham, we lost 1-0 when we dominated the game. We were 15 minutes away from possibly being in the Premier League. So that, that's a huge positive. The, the agony of the playoffs is, is always for me. I've seen every playoff defeat that we've, that we've had and although it doesn't reflect on this team you've just always got those feelings in you and I just wanted to see us win a final I'm not even that bothered about a Premier League I just wanted to see us win a final quite a lot of people are now seeing us as, as we're not just little old Brentford or, or, or a little thing they're, they're, they're taking us quite seriously and you know they're talking about us in a way like, like, like we were, they expected us to roll, roll over for them tonight we, we were ne- we've never ever been in that position where we were expected to win but we're actually being talked about we're not a small club anymore we, we're, we're a team who are going somewhere and, and they're, they're really taking notice of these things I think a big positive is that and, and, and I think most of the fans that you'll find now although we've had this guy thing and we think that some of our players will leave and that I think most people will turn around and say we've got faith that we, we're going to get better players again and we're still going to challenge the idea of like being in the globe experiencing it with your friends and I think the realistic thing that we need to say is now if anybody has any idea what's going on that this could well be the new normal for the next six seven months and actually that is a great thing because we're with great people we live in that hurt we've been through this we've done it before and I think what's been different to any other time is that I've sat here now, I sat after the game, I shed my tears, I had my 20 minutes to really console myself and get over it and then I just started thinking to myself and what I genuinely believe more than anything is I believe in the system, I believe in the club and I think we are on an upward curve. I think this is just getting better and better every year. There will be a lot of naysayers out there saying that like, we bottled it, we've blown our chance, but for the past six years, we've just been getting better and better and better. And what we do as fans, we get caught up in the moment, we get caught up in the heat of it being Fulham, the chance of the Premier League. And I think what we don't realise is actually that Matthew Benham wasn't looking at today as being the be-all or end-all. He's already looking 
two, three years into the future. The club as a whole are looking forwards. And I think out of a lot of the teams in the championship, we are in such a special position right now. And if we can keep getting better 10% every year, we will eventually get to the Premier League. And when we get to the Premier League, it'll be a completely different ball game. But until that point, we will just keep doing what we're doing and didn't just sink everything in on the punt. We're not that team. And OK, we didn't go up this season, but next season's going to be better. If we don't go up next season, the next season will be better. And we've got two or three more years to really see where we can get. And I'm so excited about that. We finished the highest we ever have in 70 odd years. We've got an amazing team. We've got a fantastic manager. And I just believe that with a good wind and some, you know, something, something's going to change. We're gonna, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there. It's just gonna, it's gonna, we're gonna have to do it the hard way, like we always do. But we're gonna get there, Bill. We're gonna get there, mate. I believe it. Bill, we're bees. We're fighters. We never give up. And we'll always be positive. I was still proud of the boys today. I know they didn't pull it out of the bag, but we're going into a nice new stadium, and we'll fight to live another day to get in there and go for another season. We're bees. Come on, Brentford. Up the bees. I love you through and through. Come on, Brentford. We mustn't be down. We've got to think positive all the way. We've lost, but our spirits are still high. We'll keep fighting, Bill. We'll keep fighting. George, yeah, I was so, I was so down and after the Stoke game, the Barnsley games. But I, I actually, I, I think there's something, there's something about this club now that we seem, to, we seem to sort of bounce back. We seem to enjoy the adversity. I want to prove a few people wrong. And I, and I think the last month has been a great advert for the club, for players, everyone. I don't know, if Ivan, Tony or whoever. We have to re- rebuild the squad. But we are, we, are the, we, are the, we are the footballers' team in the championship. If you want to come down and play like Corinthians, if you want to play this amazing have-a-go knockout football then we are we are the team and I look forward to it and I will not miss not being at Wickham and Rotherham and Coventry the same way I would I would really miss not being at Man City or Arsenal or Liverpool and I, I thought I'd be a lot more down but actually in the grand scheme of things if someone said to you you were 20 minutes away from the Premier League you know with, with, the, with this club with, with Thomas Frank this novice manager with Matthew Benham you know this, this guy this gambler in charge We've, we've done it, and we've done, you know, we've done it so early. We've done it so quickly, and you know, I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. There you go, Bill. You got, you got it out of me. I'm optimistic. I have to look back and say it's the most successful we've been. We we finished third in the championship, third in the championship on merit. And yes, it hurts tonight. It really bloody hurts tonight. But we finished third in the championship, and looking at the teams coming down next season, I. It's almost unbearable to think about next season at this point, but we've got to be positive for next season. We've got, we've got a great owner, we've got a great manager, we've got the, such a good system for running the club. We have to be positive. We're, we're going to finish top two next year. And that's interesting listening to the fans. And one player who's a fan who was watching the game with us as well, Marcus Bean. I mean, this is what he had to say. He was, he was particularly gutted because he's also working quite closely with Brentford at this moment. 
Marcus Bean. Brentford would always hold a special place in my heart because it was a club that rekindled my love for football. My thoughts on the final, listen, I'm, I'm, I was bitterly disappointed like all the fans were and it, and it and it hurt. And just kind of recovering from that now and looking forward to the future. But I just felt that on the day that they handled the occasion a little bit better than us. They, they've got a lot of experienced players um, who have been there in those situations. And, and I, I think I've said before that I think a lot, a lot of the times those games do come down to are you able to handle the emotions and just play your usual game and some players just didn't quite do it on the day. And that's not to say they haven't been fantastic throughout the season and they have been, they've been brilliant and I just don't think that we can really um, be too harsh on anybody on this that result and, and as I said before I'm really positive about the future and now and despite one or two maybe leaving I know that as a recruitment department, which I, I work in, you know, how hard we're working behind the scenes to, to make sure that we replace them with players that can do, you know, at least a good a job, if not better. That's the model and that's what we've got to try and do. And, and I'm positive that we can do that. I'm really looking forward to the future now. So we're getting all sorts of opinions here, but the question was, was Thomas Frank trying to be too clever on the day in the way that we played? Or was it a tactic that just didn't quite come off? I think if you revert to, to it once you've seen that Fulham aren't going to let you play and it's basically about being tight at the back and taking anything you can, I don't think that's being too clever. I think that, that obviously makes some sense. But I don't think you can get past the fact that if we'd have come out swinging in the first 10 or 15 minutes, like we did against Swansea, the game would have been played out in a completely different way. But the reason we didn't do that is that Fulham didn't let us. And it's interesting because this is a conversation that we had, or part of a conversation we had with Ted Knutson who's a statistician for Statsbomb. And uh, he, he, listen, he knows his stuff, to be fair. He, he worked for Brentford for a while, but he's worked for a number of clubs since then. People have started to get into the analytics game within football. We spoke for Ted for, well, for over an hour. And you can hear the podcast on prideofwest.london in a few days after you hear this. But we've got a little clip of our conversation with Ted Knutson from Statsbomb talking about the Fulham playoff final. Uh, I'm the CEO of Statsbomb, which is a sports data company. We provide the best data in the industry as, long, as well as uh, visualization on top of it for recruitment, for opposition analysis, and for team performances. Okay, and, and you've worked for I me, mean, you work for many different clubs as well, almost like as consultants, is that right? Yeah, so I uh, spent two years uh, at Brentford and Michelland, um, and then you know, came out of that and looked around for my next job. Uh, started up my own company, realizing that kind of Moneyball was was going to take off in the space. And uh, it was still pretty early, which is kind of interesting. Like, you know, I, I felt like the stuff we were doing at Brentford was, was fairly well known. But uh, it wasn't until like 2017, 2018, where we really start, started to see the data shift in football. And so we've worked and consulted with, you know, Europa League and Champions League teams uh, all the way down to, to League Two. And we sell to something like 50 customers right now. Uh, so we, we are seeing this, you know, really take hold in the, in the football world. From your point of view, from someone who looks at stats, can you, can you sort of judge the season? Can you break it down as to whether it was a successful season or, a, or the season was a failure? Or does it sit somewhere in between? How, how did you view the season for Brentford? Best B season of your lifetime. You may never see a better B's team than this. And like, that's just like, that's me having watched a lot of games, but it's also, you know, factually true as well. Made it to the playoff final, made it within minutes of actually doing something else. Um, yeah, I, 
and and when we look at the stats and the data, like is a very significant, impressive season. It's really different from the Dean years, uh, or or even the Warbs years. You know, um, the difference be- became that Brentford were extremely good defensively, and then the attack was mostly powered by you know high fueled, very talented players. But you know, from expected goals perspective, they didn't score you know buckets and buckets. And if you take away that seven nil. You know, there was a five-one against against Hull, and then you know some threes and some fours in there. But I mean, th- that's great for the championship. But it was the defense that powered them on. But I think that you know this year you kind of got to just love this season, despite the fact that it ended that way. And then you know if you if you come back twelve year or twelve months later or five years later in some cases, like you'll be very nostalgic toward it. Do you, I mean, I, I guess the next question comes is, is where did it go wrong? I mean, can you put your finger on where it went wrong? Was it, was it um, by not getting automatic promotion? Is it just the luck of the last 30 minutes of the playoff final? Where, where would you say it went wrong? Or is there a deeper message there? The second Joe Bryan goal, not the first one. No, so like, there's, a, there's a thing about Brentford choked, right? Um, Brentford had to win eight games in a row to get in position to quote-unquote choke. And that just gets lost. People are like, I mean, they could have not won at any one of those points and then not been in that position. Uh, they had a huge heater as they came back from the break and, and were great to watch. And, you know, for me, I look at it and that's just like, you know, the timing of things makes people think that the storyline is there. But throughout the course of the year, it's, it's interesting. Like, I've that. If you think of the Birmingham game that kind of started off the season that had like, uh, what was it, an 18-meter header that was scored, which is like, I think literally the only one outside the box this season in the whole championship. Like, there's some bad luck involved in that. And, but, you know, credit to Fulham at the end, and I know that's painful, so I, I apologize for saying it, but credit for Fulham at the end for looking at David's position and realizing that he was a little high up. But the, really, the real one that sealed it, was the the second Brian goal because like the bees scored laid on and it would have gone into to penalties at one one and and that one was a magnificent play and if you rewatch it as painful as it is that's a great fucking goal and there's no way that your left back should be up there in the box at that point no possible way yeah that's just true I mean just look at it overall because again from Brentford fans point of view I mean I know that you said that you know we've had the time of our life we've had the best season interestingly all the way through the season you know, we were, in effect, we were second in, the, you know, you've got the charts, which you put your stats, people, we were second, stroke third, but, you know, for a lot of the time we were second in the in the charts, which meant that they always felt that we could always take that second place. We were always going to be up there. Um, now, so, we, so, in effect, the season was going to plan. So, the fact that the season went to plan, then after the, sort of, we went into lockdown, and then we still kind of, you know, we, we went from third, fourth to third, you know, to play so we didn't quite get there. Does that mean, as far as you're concerned, the season was a success for Brentford, even though we didn't win the playoff final? Or is the playoff final the kind of ultimate? Yeah, I'm, promotion's the goal, right? So if you if you only look at your goals, you would say that Brentford failed a little bit. Uh, you know, third best team in terms of points and goal difference. Uh, second best team in terms of expected goals. Leeds were the only one that were better. Uh, came out of the gates a little rough, as sometimes happens. But, you know, some of that was just poor luck. And right up against it, against a Barnsley team that got a lot better after they changed managers. And you know, that, that late, 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 late goal uh, kept them up, you know, incentivized there. It wasn't like they were playing somebody whose season was, was over. I don't, it's, 
I have to look at it from a process perspective as this was a success. As a goal perspective, you fell just a tiny bit short. And Thomas Frank, I mean, you talked, it's interesting because you talked about Dean Smith. And again, what we're doing is that we're using you, Ted, because you've just got, you know, you've got much different knowledge to what we have. And it's not kind of pointing fingers at anybody saying you're bad, you're good. It's just kind of just getting more of an idea and probably making us feel a little bit better <laughs> about having lost to Fulham in the playoff final. I mean, Thomas Frank came in and there were a number of changes, as you said. You talk about the defensive, you talked about, you know, I mean, we scored more goals than we've ever scored before. What was the difference, the main differences between Thomas and Dean? Uh, Thomas's defense is just much tighter. And you know, it's not just aggressive pressing. It's, it's that you know, systemically they were tighter, they disrupt passing lanes, and they break all the time. And the, the break all the time is something that we, we set into, into place you know, very early on. It's something we wanted to do. Warbs also did it as well. Like when you have fast front men that can run and you've got midfielders that can pass it to those guys and get them going as quickly as possible, like that is an edge and that's something that happens there. But Thomas's group was just much more defensively stout um, and, and Norgard was also like a big upgrade and one that we wanted from you know, 2014. You know, like uh, Douglas and Toombs, not the most mobile uh, <laughs> of, of players back in uh, you know, six years ago, especially as they're coming toward the end of their, their championship careers. And, and finally, Norgard comes in and he, he sort of you know, solidifies all of that. And it was, it was really good to watch. I, I can't believe that Rico played every game. Uh, so like, I'm, I'm looking backwards at like, what we wanted back then and seeing where they're at. But the, the reality is Thomas was, he, he instilled a much better, tighter defense, made it so that the Bees only had to score one or two in a lot of these matches in order to come out on top. And, and that was probably the difference in, in their place in the table as well. Just before, I mean, you, you bring Fulham back in, Ted. Can you can you break down the actual the Fulham game and say and say what Fulham did well against us? Because, like you've already said, you know, I my personal opinion is it wasn't that we choked. Fulham just did a job on us that day. Um, how do you? I mean, wh- where do you stand on that? Best game I've seen Fulham play in in ages and ages. Having watched this this league in, in you know, six years, super super closely, um, and. They were different than that first restart game that, that we beat them late. But Harrison Reed was tremendous in that game, and, and he was the, what, the, the switch. Like Basically, when they took him off, then the Bees were able to get some traction and start to run and scored that late goal as well in the, in the restart game. Um, in this one, Fulham disrupted everything, like absolutely everything. And Brentford couldn't get, they couldn't run. And that's, you know, a thing that happens. Uh, set pieces didn't do much either. I weren't giving up many set pieces. There are just so many kind of inside passes, not quite in the final third, but in, in the B's, or sorry, in the Fulham half, where they go to start play and then nothing happens. Like, it just gets disrupted and then Fulham go into possession and Brentford can't aggressively press because they know it might go into extra time. So they got to save, save gas in the tank and stuff like that. So it was a really good game plan and they executed it extremely well. Do you, do you think they could have, say Mitrovic had been fit and he had started the game, could they have executed the same game plan? Probably not. I, I don't think Mitro plays that game. I think he also, there's also the worry that he's going to get a second card at some point for being Mitrovic. Uh, <laughs> you know, being John Malkovich, being Alexander Mitrovich, also a very good head study. Like, you know, it fits perfectly. Um, yeah, so I, I think that Mitro would have, and Mitro wasn't super useful in when he came on either. Um, but I think that the Pontus and, and Pinnock, like, both handled him quite well previously, and so that would have been absolutely fine. 
there's kind of an irony, isn't there, that a lot of people were happy that Mitrovic wasn't playing because he's their top scorer, but but possibly that sort of laid out a route that Fulham could take into the game that actually really disrupted us. I think the rumour was that Reed was nursing an injury, and that was the one that I was hoping for. I was like, if he's not in, then at least you know, this should go a little easier through the centre of the pitch, which means that you know, Brentford might come out on top. And you know, look, there was... There was nothing in this game. Like They were both really good. Bees struggled a little bit. Nerves were there. First 30 minutes especially, I thought that were a bit chancy, but they settled into it. And then, you know, things happen. And a little bit of magic, something that the coaching staff scouted ahead of time and, and Brian performs. And But that second goal is the one that you're just like, wow, where did that come from? And if that one doesn't happen, then it goes into penalties and who knows. Sometimes, do you think that maybe that we're even though we've got these magical players, you also become so over-reliant on them that if they don't perform, it kind of can really knock you back for six, and especially if one or two or three of them. So, same example, Ben Rama can't do those little skills. Like, you know, if Josh De Silva has an off game, if you've got two or three of those players having an off game, um, I mean, you might say they didn't have an off game, they just would stop from playing. But from the Brentford fans, because we've seen the way that these guys play, even if somebody kind of blocks them out, they could find their way around it. But we just seem to have had a situation where, yes, there was a bit of nerves, but also the players weren't quite on their game. And if they're not on their game, we rely on it. That stops us from being a 9 out of 10 team and makes us more of a sort of kind of 6 or 7 out of 10 team. Do you, would you agree with that? I, I think that sometimes you have to credit your opponent. And, and that's like not just part of being like a good winner or loser, but it's also like part of football. Like sometimes teams do a good job against you and yeah, it sucks. And I, you know, the, the bit of magic thing, it's like collective magic. Yeah, it's it's not just one player many times. It's it's multiple players that are contributing. Like that Jensen pass for for the goal against Swansea. Like that's the pass is what makes that. Like, but if the run isn't there, then like that never happens anyway. Um, I I think that you know sometimes we get lost in that. But the nice part about having multiple players that can create magic is that sometimes they create additional magic above and beyond that. And and the the thing that I would say is like look at PSG, one of the biggest teams in the world last night. They spent, uh, you know, an awful long time uh, waiting for Mbappe's period to come back on, where Neymar was creating magic by himself and it was magic. He was unbelievable last night. Like, and people will just lose it because, like, he didn't he didn't score those two goals where he's in front. You know, most expensive player ever in the world that just didn't happen to finish two chances that looked like they were really good chances. Well, hey, you know, even the very best players of all time, like, don't always do this type of stuff. And we're still in the championship, and we have some great players, especially for the level. But factually, you know, sometimes you credit your opponent because they were really, really good. And if you talk about opponents, there were two other key games, of course, that, that we didn't come out top on. And I don't know how much you followed these games, but the Barnsley game and the Stoke game. Um, where do you stand on those games in terms of crediting opponents versus Brentford missing their opportunities? Yeah, so Stoke were actually like good all year but it didn't kind of come good and get the results until the end of the season. And Brentford fans should be used to that because Brentford had times where they looked like they were in, you know, the bottom six of the table. But reality was they finished ninth at the end of the year. And, you know, which one is the real real bees or real stoke during that period? I don't know. And the Barnsley game was was helter-skelter. You know, both of those teams needed a result. And, and they played like both of those teams needed a result. And at the end of it, you know, Barnsley got it and it kept them up. And it was a, a huge difference for them. And it was super painful for, for Brentford fans. But they got to, to do it again in the playoffs. And that ended up super painful as well. But, you know, they still... 
Yeah, I don't know. If if you go back to the beginning of the year, you look at this B's team and you say that you had 81 points, you finished two points off of automatic promotion, you had the best expected goals in the league, you had a great attack, and you had the second best defense. And you say, would you accept that right now as you get to go into the playoffs? They would all say yes. One thing that we did notice, and it's funny because it's not been really picked up, and, and also as Brentford fans, we've actually really resigned ourselves. We said, we put our hands up and said, listen, Fulham, better team better tactics they, they did us on the day we, you know we're not bitter about it i think it's been easier for us because we're behind closed doors to be quite honest with you we were actually in the pubs rather than the stadium so it's made it a lot easier but we've put our hand up and said fair enough you know we won the battles against fulham we've beaten them every time in griffin park at their place but they won the war at wembley so anyway but they did something quite interesting because when they got that free kick okay the time they got their free kick we didn't notice that's when mitrovic i think guy came on he got substituted he came straight over nutted Marcondes. there was a bit of kerfuffle going on with him you know yellow card should be a red card so that was happening whereas no one actually noticed that i think brian took the ball up and put it forward 10 yards further than it should have been where he took the kick so that free kick would have been 10 yards behind now we were asking the question is that basically why mitrovic was sent on to call, get a yellow card cause a kerfuffle get them a bit earlier and are these the kind of experience that we're missing as a side which is still quite young and quite green and we don't quite know how to do these little tricks coaches literally could have just told them which is what they told Fulham players to do it's nothing to do with experience it's just about like finding the edges at the coaching level and then getting the players to execute i think it'd be good to talk about the future because listen we didn't get promoted this season as we know we came very very close um, from you, you know, as a professional in the game, Ted, you're very impressed with Brentford and you're not thinking that they're going to be going anyway. Um, you know, just looking at the future, you said that we're going to lose, you know, at least a couple of front players. We're thinking that we lose three, maybe even four players. How is that going to affect us? Yeah, I, I think that it's it's challenging. Like, and, and often it doesn't happen the, the first year that you have to rebuild, right? Often it's the second year that you, you start to excel again. And sometimes you, it doesn't go perfectly. Um, so I think Ali goes, I think Saeed goes, uh, I think that Rico might go to a Premier League team that wants a, a speedy left back that can defend. The Bees have done a great job in, in doing this over and over, and as long as everybody sticks around at the top level, you gotta you got to kind of back them to be able to do it again. I think that you know, Brentford have historically been really good at rebuilding, especially in certain places, and centre-backs they've been remarkably good, which is a tough place to recruit. Uh, goalkeepers is a fucking crapshoot. Sorry for my language there. Uh, I, right, I, right. I'm having I'm having flashbacks to goalkeepers past. Um, yes. Yeah. And then, uh, but the forwards they're always on top of it. And I think what's happening is like you'll see teams extract a little bit better price. But Brentford will have a lot of options lined up there. The question is, how long does it take that to gel? Uh, but if Tom stays around, I, the I talk to people still around the team and some people who work in Matthews organizations that have a, a pretty big impact over the years. And they've been really impressed with what Thomas has been able to do with some of the players, including De Silva. And so if Thomas is around another year, and that's a, that's a little bit of a risk as well, but I don't think you know, the Premier League has any high-profile job or even media-profile jobs that are open right now, then you, you've got a good chance of him taking those players, building them up. By the end of the next season, you know, even if they're not you know, at the automatics, they're getting into the playoffs and they're frisky and they play a good style. And maybe they add long throws and get a couple extra goals. I don't know. So really, really interesting chat there with Ted Knutson. And, and, and there's a few things that he said. I mean, first of all, he said the error. 
you know, we asked him, where did it go wrong? And he said it, was, it wasn't the first goal, which obviously we all know that was a massive error there for Araya, who's been brilliant all season. But he said it wasn't that one. He said it was come from the second goal. Because when that second goal went in, and it was a great goal, it absolutely killed us off. And he talked about, you know, players being out of position, us trying to get that, you know, trying to get the, 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 the equaliser and it didn't quite happen. You know, fullbacks being up the pitch. And you can kind of see where he's, he's, you know, where he's coming from. Because, you know, if he hadn't got that second goal, we were still in the game. Yeah, um, you know, and, and scoring so so late. You know, if they, if we were going to get a goal at any stage, you would want it to be like five minutes before that. You know, it, it just didn't give us a chance. You know, it, it was it was good that we we didn't lose two nil, but it, I don't think it, it eased the pain. Um, you know, maybe one day I, I can sit and watch back that game and and kind of be a little bit more kind of knowledgeable really about you know how things panned out. But you know, really, I think we were just all gutted in the garden and no one was no. One one, so the, the TV went straight off. No one wanted to watch Fulham lifting anything. No one wanted to watch any experts playing the game back and giving us any kind of real uh, retrospective kind of uh, insight. People just wanted to drown their sorrows, I think, and uh, that's where I'm kind of at with it still. But um, it's good to it's good to hear some you know intelligence and some sort of uh, semblance of kind of authority over why the game panned out as it did and the same thing happened in the globe as well television went straight off nobody saw the celebrations nobody saw the post um, analysis from the experts but the interesting thing is that some people said to me that um, to be fair a lot of the experts at Sky admitted put their hand up saying actually Brentford uh, we, we were wrong about them we, we laughed about them when they sat you know or not sacked but Warburton left them you know in the 2040 after the last playoff campaign but because we didn't understand what they're about but now we put our hands up so we got it wrong we understand what they're about and they didn't feel that this was going to be the end the Allard I mean this point about the on the second goal but he also said a few other interesting things didn't he yeah we sort of we, we asked him a question and it was kind of based on something that I, I, I've been th- I've been thinking about Fulham a bit and also a, a really an interesting article that Tony Cascarino wrote which I think in a way um, and he wrote it before I think maybe the day of the playoff or the day before where he said that you know if Fulham are going to play sort of a high press against us then they will struggle to do that with Mitrovic and that's a fit Mitrovic we're talking about rather than Fitrovic Fitrovic, rather than the unfitrovic or Fatrovic that we that we um, that we saw come on in the in the sort of the, the, the dying embers of the game, and, um, and 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 it's a question: if, if Fulham had had Mitrovic fit, would they have been able to play the way they did? Ted basically said no, and would that have led to a completely different game? It's not guaranteeing we would have won, of course, but it's a, it's a, it's an interesting topic that it was almost you know the lack of fitness of Mitrovic that forced Fulham. I suppose also having seen the way Barnsley played against us, Swansea maybe in the first leg as well. But but that put this sort of idea that Fulham would have to, you know, approach the game in a different way. Fulham's way hasn't been over the season has really been get the ball to Mitrovic, can he stick it in the back of the net? But this was a very different Fulham, and they basically defended from the front against us. And also, I mean, another point he said is that you know because we're really gutted, we're trying to pick holes in Brentford to a certain extent to make ourselves feel better we said look you know is this something that we did was our team not right did they you know were the players not firing on all cylinders and and he actually just pointed towards Fulham and he just actually said that well actually Fulham were very good and he said that Fulham actually you know played the best that he's probably seen them play in a long time didn't he yeah I think he almost said it was their best performance of the season and it took their best performance in years I think he said and it took that to, um, to to beat us and it was still very very narrow like we said you know Ted said it's the second goal that, that was the killer and I think we, we obviously all know that and I think what Ted's trying to say is that he felt we still had a goal in us and which we did in the end and um, and 
by thinking we had a goal in us at 1-0 anything was possible it was as well I mean and again we're not harking on what we've got to talk because we're speaking to a stats man here as well I mean the XG as it was Brentford came out on XG we had better chances I think we were just over 1.5 and Fulham were just over 1 1.16 or something like that so you know as chances go it was better so that's why it was a tight game which would have gone either way um, they got the great goal that they scored but also in effect you could say it was a lucky goal because it could have gone either way it's 0.4% chance of actually that going in the back of the net that free kick that they had so it could have gone out hit the crossbar gone wide anything else could have happened fair play that they scored and after that you know you just never know so it's one of those things where you keep saying things like it's small margins sometimes I hate that phrase especially when you lose but it, it is small margins sometimes you want to sort of try to find a bigger excuse like we weren't good enough we weren't hard enough we weren't tough enough but when you actually look at it in the cold light of the day it is small margins like that that gives them the advantage which makes them win. Was there a delayed reaction in the pub because you know, we were watch, all watching it from the same angle. We weren't watching it from different parts of the ground. And I, was, I, I didn't know the ball had actually gone in until like, maybe like a second or two seconds later on. I thought you had the, you had the really random you know, um, simulated crowd noise and it, it was all seemed delayed. And I don't think even the commentators believed that it had gone in from there. I said, I mean, I said, oh no, straight away. And it looked like he sort of did this ridiculous, the dive looked really ridiculous. And they went down and I went, oh no. But a lot of people just did stop, so there was a stop. Then afterwards, it's like a real confusion. I mean, I don't know what you're saying with you. Yeah, I felt the same. It was a sort of you saw this scrambling from Raya, which which gave you an idea it was going to it was close. And then I didn't really think it had gone in. And then suddenly I looked at what was going on, and the full and at the corner of my eye, I see Fulham celebrating, and you just think, oh lord, because I guess you can't really you know you couldn't really hear the commentary and stuff like that, and and the crowd noise you couldn't trust. I think there was a moment earlier in the game where Fulham um, hit the side netting, and there was sort of a cheer that suddenly died down and stuff like that so um, you know yeah it was um, it, there was a second or two of confusion until the, the actual oh oh no oh no oh no uh, yeah I mean one thing I will say though is like listen Fulham you know they're the team that I want to beat most in the whole world and this is quite gutting that we didn't do it as you say it's probably better that it happened when we were inside the, the pub as opposed to inside the ground because I couldn't think of anything worse I was travelling home down Wembley Way and on the tube of all these Fulham fans uh, and all that however you know listen you know they are my biggest rivals as far as I'm concerned but to be fair the first person that actually sent us a message afterwards was a Fulham fan who said look I'm really gutted for you listen you know you wanted to win it really badly it didn't really happen and uh, Fulham fans on the whole I think have actually been really gracious about the, 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 the victory this time and I even got a message from a Fulham fan who, oh, sorry, I don't have your name. He, he messaged me via Instagram, which I don't use as much as I probably I should do, and the mis- message disappeared. But he said something like, you know, you guys have been really brilliant. You know, I listened to your podcast a few times. I thought Brent were really brilliant. Everything that you've done is really great. I feel a bit gutted for you. I'm glad we beat you. But he was really, really gracious. Don't even know this guy as well. And I thought, listen, fair play. Tip me out to them. You know, I'm not sure whether or not also they're being maybe a little bit gracious because they know that this battle isn't over as yet. You know, as far as I'm concerned, this has only just started. You know, they won it they won a little bit of a war but they know that we're still going to be coming back we're not going we're not slinking away Brentford are going to get stronger and stronger so I think the Brentford Fulham thing is going to happen again so don't you worry about that fucking hate Fulham <laughs> ladies not happy but listen what you're going to say is that we're going to just talk off this little twang about a little poll that we had about previous playoffs which may make you feel a little bit better or worse, or worse <laughs> about what went on at Wembley against Fulham a few weeks back so, I mean, listen, gutted as you may be of losing the playoffs, but then we thought, hold on a second, <laughs> this is nine out of nine. We've lost nine playoffs. And I thought, just to make me feel better, I just thought, hold on a second, how badly does this rank against all the other playoffs 
that we uh, that we played in. Then I started to sort of write them all down, and then when I wrote it down, I thought, hmm, actually, to be quite honest with you, I don't feel bad compared to other ones. So I put it out to you know a fair few people, and we got a really good response back from people out there. We didn't put it to the whole world because we didn't want Fulham fans actually kind of sort of writing in and sort of putting them as number one, like you know, sort of kind of get it all rigged. So we've did it. But like I said to you, we got a really really good response back from Bees fans, and uh, and and the interesting thing about it is that out of all the nine playoffs that we had, and we can go through all of them. The one that came top as the worst playoff final loss out of all of them, and it's not about the way that we played, it's just about how you felt as a fan and, and, and linked to certain things, was Huddersfield. Without a shadow of a doubt, Huddersfield was the top one, the one that people remember the worst. And also we had a good range of people as well. We had sort of kind of young people in their teens going all the way through to kind of, you know, 50s and 60s as well. So we had a really good range of people in there. But that still ranked as the, as the worst playoff final loss again. The second worst, interestingly, was, was Fulham. So Fulham was the second worst playoff final loss as far as people were concerned. Yeovil was the third worst playoff loss. Stoke City... Um, in 2002 as well was uh, the fourth worst playoff loss and Crew Alexandra in 1997 as well was the fifth worst then after that it was all a bit woolly it was sort of a bit of Borough a bit of a Sheffield Wednesday you know in sort of 2000 I think it was 2005 you know Swansea in 2006 and then the one that people least were worried about was Tranmere the first one in 2009 so I mean I thought that was quite interesting I mean what I'd say is that the Fulham one started off being sort of nowhere near but then after it picked up a little bit of speed uh, so I don't know whether or not people sort of when they started to compare things but it's uh, it's also talking about the reasons why people did it as well you know Huddersfield um, what, what was noticed is that the, 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 the four sort of top the four or five top ones which are in the list were all finals that people felt that Brentford deserved to have gone up and that didn't quite happen so it's how do you order that one and then the ones after that were the ones where probably Brentford didn't deserve to go as in whether, whether or not we finished sixth and we just snuck in or whether or not we just played really rubbish you know as we did against Swansea and we just had no chance so I thought that was kind of quite 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 interesting um, Middlesbrough actually the semi-final because also you've got to think about some of the people who are, are young enough to not remember things like Tranmere or Huddersfield or even you know Stoke City um, but we, we, we had sort of over 50% of the people that remembered all the way back to Tranmere as well which I think was you know which was which was which was quite interesting we had like you know uh, and also 15% uh, their first semi-final of the first playoff loss well, their first playoff loss I remembered was Huddersfield and then it was Yeovil after that so we had people that kind of remembered all the way through now Middlesbrough was the second highest number of least worst behind Tranmere so it's almost like that Huddersfield semi-final even though we lost it and we were gutted I think that people sort of saw it as a bit of a celebration probably the, the fact that we just kind of they didn't deserve to be there didn't expect to be there we actually played very well throughout that season and also there was a bit of a party up in um, Middlesbrough afterwards for the people that um, kind of kind of were in there as well so I mean that's quite interesting I mean th- th- those results Laney I mean what are your thoughts oh, I hate you doing this it's like like putting a list together of your favourite funerals you've ever been to to be honest with you I thought it was I thought it was like a, a bit bit nasty of you to ask the question but but true you, you know it's good to put it into some sort of order for me personally um, I felt Fulham defeat actually I've taken all right it's, it's almost like it's down there with the, the Tranmere one probably um, I, I, I'm still on a bit of a high that my club finished third in the second tier of English football and we and we, we, we won loads of brilliant games this season um, 
doesn't make it any any easier to, to accept the defeat. I think the worst one for me um, was, well, yeah, I, I'm on the Huddersfield one. Um, there, there was an injustice, you, you're right, where, where there was a real big injustice in the season where we've been leading the, the division pretty much all the season and, we, and we'd, you know, we'd, we'd been robbed of automatic promotion pretty much. So, um, yeah, I, I think... The, 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 I was Stoke, no Stoke at Wembley, um, at Millennium Stadium as well. That was that was pretty awful. They, we'd had a long day out and it was a long journey back as well. And uh, yeah, it, I imagine that. I remember that getting really aggy. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think Stoke at uh, the Millennium Stadium because it was a long, horrible journey back as well. So yeah, Huddersfield gets it for me though. I, I initially I thought Huddersfield, but I think maybe there's a little bit of retrospective in this. Is that the Stoke game was um, horrific mainly because you you knew that the, the club that basically that team was finished. That was their last throw of the dice. You knew probably that Koppel was going to leave, so that meant Awusu was going, Gavin Marm was going, Koppel was going, um, and I'm sure there were some others as well. And you and I just couldn't really see how we could bounce back from that and have any anything <coughs> to show for it. And which is exactly how it turned out. It sort of ripped the heart out of the club for a period of time. Um, maybe on the night it was Huddersfield. It was the first time I'd really experienced anything like that. It was horrific. I did go away to Tranmere. But I just think we were glad to be there to some extent. You know, there was a fleet of 50-odd coaches went up to Tranmere that day, which I remember. Um, But Huddersfield sort of hit me really, really hard. Um, I think by the time you get to Yeovil, you're starting to become a bit numb to to the whole thing. And... um, and, and, and it was and it was pretty horrific, but you sort of you, you become a bit numb to it. I, I, I think with Fulham, the difference with Fulham is that I still think the club's on an upward trajectory. I don't think we're gonna, you know, I, the club isn't gonna fall apart next season. Um, most of the key players are still gonna. When I say players, I'm talking about the club in general, not the ones on the pitch. The key players are still gonna be involved, um, and by that I mean the owner, directs the football, the talent spotters. Hopefully, I'm sure. I think the manager. Yeah, um, we might lose a few players, but we but we've bought other players in. It, next season, it might not. It might start a bit difficult with the transfer window, and that will be an open. But I, I, that's why I don't feel quite that way about Fulham. Sure, for sure, it's the biggest prize we've ever missed out on. There's no doubt about that. But I, I, I still go back to the Stoke one that ripped the heart out of the club for, and we didn't recover for a good many years. Well, for me, unfortunately, I disagree with all of you. But Yeovil was my worst one. I think after the Doncaster at home and that penalty miss, we were all gutted, absolutely. You know, even now I remember how I felt that day. And then we get to Yeovil, get to Wembley, playing Yeovil, this little team from non-league a few seasons before, and, yep, we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And then they beat us. And, you know, I can remember sitting in the pub outside Wembley, meeting these Yeovil fans, and they were even saying, we're some tin pot little club from down down southwest. He says, and you're, you know, you're a London club, you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And to this day... That is still my worst memory. Huddersfield was bad, Crew, Stoke, all of them. But for me, definitely, Yeovil is my big number one. It's interesting because I mean, you can look through the comments as well, and we're going to probably put this into a. I say probably, I really should do it. Myself, maybe to put this into an article as well, which you can actually read it because I think people have put some really interesting comments as well, and it will make you feel. I think it'll make you feel better. You know, they put Yeovil hurt us the most. You know, as we should have gone up with the Doncaster penalty. So that Doncaster penalty incident, I think, is a big thing with with, with, with certain people. You know, some people saying you know losing to Fulham was tough only because they felt that you know we were ready and we're like the best team you know that they've ever seen, and I think that was a difficulty. 
as well. You know, losing to Fulham was hard as well, but I think it's the, the quality of the team and knowing that we could have actually done it, you know, as opposed to looking at previous teams like, you know, the Swansea, maybe the Sheffield Wednesday games when they feel that we couldn't have done it. You know, lots of people talk about the Huddersfield game mainly because, you know, that was a season when only one team went up and we finished second that season because of the, the rejig of the Premier League. So we finished second and Huddersfield finished fifth that time and they beat us on penalties and I think it was the first time that Brentford were actually a really good side that season and we looked like it's the first time in my lifetime that we were actually going to do anything and I so believe that we're going to do it and I think you know as a young fan the heartbreak that you get when certain things like that happen probably as people might have had if they're young and they went to the Yeovil game or probably even for this Fulham game as well so they can equate that as well but like I said to you we're going to put a lot of this up on besotted.com as an article so you can read it in and around this podcast and also the Ted Knudsen podcast just to give a little bit bit more context as to how this loss fits in in and around all the other Brentford losses but I will say looking back at all the previous ones we've their defeats while we've been knocking on the door to get into the second tier the last two the Middlesbrough and obviously the Fulham we're getting used to now knocking on the door to get to the top flight so you know the, the, the standard and the, and the, the bar's been raised it's going to be more difficult um, and I just hope that with some of the previous playoff defeats, we're able to bounce back the next season and put it right, like we did at Yeovil. The Yeovil um, experience was a, a horrible roller coaster. You'd had obviously the, the Doncaster bar, then you'd had Bristol City, where we'd had a real sort of nail biter um, back at Griffin Park, and then obviously the defeat at Wembley. So hopefully we can put it right next season. Fingers crossed we can put it right. Listen, we're going to talk about many more things what's happening in and around Griffin Park what's happening on the pitch what's happening off the pitch are there transfers there's all sorts of nonsense that's going on we'll talk about that and then what we'll do is we'll just come back after that and just talk about a few little positives after the final so the one thing about the Swansea game which is the playoff semi-final it was the final game at Griffin Park but what the fans wanted or some of the fans wanted they wanted to see Griffin Park for the last time because obviously we have not had the opportunity to go back there and see Griffin Park because uh, well the rug was pulled underneath us due to Covid and it's not anybody else's fault nobody's fault there at all but we thought that you know the club thought we need to rectify this so to be fair to the club they put a, a an event up for the fans that they can actually go back to Griffin Park and they can pay one last visit to Griffin Park and tickets went out for fans, season ticket holders, members, whoever it may be to go out there to visit Griffin Park for the last time at the end of the August. It has to be said, it hasn't quite gone according to plan though, has it Laney? No, it hasn't and, and to be fair to everyone concerned, you know, we are in extraordinary circumstances. I, I think probably all the ticketing staff are still being furloughed, I, I, I don't know that for a fact, but um, in an ideal situation the, the whole um, season ticket holders you know, applying for slots and tickets for the, the you know the one last goodbye would have been done through the ticketing system. Um, whether that was not possible because of staff not being around, I, I don't know. It looks like we've used a kind of Eventbrite, um, which is you know is proved problematic. So uh, there's a lot of fans, um, season ticket holders that weren't. I've, I've personally have still not even received my email to invite me to 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 to, to apply for a ticket. Um, so obviously I'm not I'm not very happy about that. Not so much for me. Um, I, you know, I'm happy to have said my goodbyes at the Sheffield Wednesday game, but I know that's not the same for everyone. My son wanted to go back; he's not got uh, an email either. So I know there's a lot of season ticket holders that are kind of like upset. 
Um, and then on top of that, you've obviously got the, the ticketing situation. On top of that, um, it's, it's emerged that seats have been taken out of Griffin Park um, by surprise to, you know, maybe maybe not to the people that have made the decisions, but um, to, to a lot of fans that were expecting to go back and to see Griffin Park for one last time. I don't think that one last time included kind of looking at a skeleton of a stand that had been kind of semi-dismantled. Um, um, if they'd have taken all the seats out in the new roadside um, and said, we're going to recreate a terrace, um, and then you know, they could have disguised it under that, um, taken all those seats out first, then they probably would have got away with it. Um, but the fact is that, uh, you know, especially where the seats have gone, they, it looks like they've donated them to non-league uh, football clubs, which is you know, a great gesture overall, but the timing of it is, is kind of a bit dubious. You know, if, if you're going to invite all your fan base back, all your most loyal recent fan base in terms of them being season ticket holders to kind of see or sit in their seat for one last time, you're, you're, you're opening yourself up to a lot of ups, upset um, and offence ultimately if the seats aren't there. And uh, we all know the ground's going to be ripped down. None of us are looking forward to seeing that, but that should have been done out of our eyesight um, and will be you know once you said goodbye you can kind of park it it's like saying goodbye to a you know a relative and it is like that to a, to a lot of people it is very much like that saying goodbye to a you know a relative that you know is going to die and you see him for the last time and that might sound dramatic to, to some people but to a lot of fans that's exactly how it is and you'd, and you'd like to see them as as they are not with an arm cut off um, so it, I, I just think there's a, it's unfortunate some of the decisions and the timing of some of those decisions um, there's, there's a few few fans that have been kind of like really um, hard as nails about it or would you expect you don't expect the, the, the place to be mothballed forever this has got to be done blah 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 yeah, we know all of that we know, we, the arguments about moving stadium it's not about any of that it's not about like can we can we keep Griffin Park? It, that, that all, all that's we know we know what's done is done, and we know we're moving to a new stadium for the start of next season. None of us expected some cryogenic storage of the old ground, and we could walk around there any time we wanted. It's, it's coming down, and it's going to be sad to see. But for one last time, Brentford fans wanted to see it as it was for the Sheffield Wednesday game. Maybe with the fans' pictures still there, whatever. But it needed to be. Undamaged, in, in, in for want of a better word, and that's not the case. And I think it's very, very unfortunate. And I think some fans are very, very upset, and rightly so. I can't disagree with any of that. It's just a complete shit show. Again, you know me. I do my devil's advocate thing. Where we do, we don't know what the scenario is, as well with regards to the club. You know what obligations that they may or may not have had. So you know that's going to be thrown into the bottom. We haven't had the chance to actually call the club and ask them for a comment. And this one, I think, this is more of a comment from a seeing what's been people have been saying online, seeing what maybe people have been saying in certain conversations, and you know just basically emotional views, just like what we have the emotional views with fans directly after a match when they're sort of thinking, you know, we've lost three nil when we should have won four nil, you know, and this is what our view are so I think that the views at the moment are now that you know maybe the club should have waited for at least a, maybe a week or 10 days before they actually gave those seats away to non-league I know Joe you I mean like I said to you you brought me to Brentford Griffin Park I mean it's got a massive you know um, place in your heart you know you used to go for years you used to go home and away up and down all around the country you knew characters are plenty as it us but you weren't actually going to go back to see Griffin Park for the last time were you? No, I've made the decision. I want to remember Griffin Park as it was, you know, the 5-0 win against Sheffield Wednesday. And 
to tell you the truth, who wants to walk round an empty ground anyway, and albeit with seats missing now? I just want to remember it as it was the good times. For me, part of Griffin Park went when the Royal Oak came down anyway, so, and like different stands and whatever, but... Yeah, I just want to remember it as it was full. And if I had to go back one last time, I'd want it with some fans in there for proper goodbye. But we all know that we can't do that. And, and, and this is a conversation for the future. I mean, you know, Brentford, we know they've had to move on. Everyone's had to get their head around it. I mean, are you actually looking forward to going to Lionel Road? Is it one of those things that you're sort of thinking, look, it's been coming for so long, kind of just get it over and done with? Yeah, I think so. I was one of those in the beginning, you know, I'm a bit old school, as you keep saying, Bill, but um, I never wanted to move from Griffin Park. It's it's unique, you know, totally unique, but I obviously live near Kewbridge, and where I've seen it grow and being built and everything, I can't actually wait now to get in there, albeit 4,000 or whatever, however they're going to do it, but I'm really looking forward to seeing us play there. And it's going to be interesting because, I mean, this is so weird. I mean, we've had a 10-day break or something like that, so we can chill out after the playoff final. But already, you know, we're talking about, you know, next week, next Friday, the fixtures are coming out for, for next season, which is going to start in about three weeks' time. I mean, this has just gone so mad. This, this whole period is just so much. Like I said to you, I really enjoyed the lockdown um, football and the post-lockdown football, even though we didn't get the result we wanted to. But to be fair, I could have actually done with a little bit of a longer break to be got on this but on the 20th um, or the 21st Friday the 21st of August the fixtures are going to be coming out it's going to be a shorter season there's going to be more midweek ties and obviously we've got six uh, new teams to play um, a bit surreal lady isn't it yeah it's really it's really surreal um, it's, it's good that the, the, the they're going to try and play catch up a bit to try and get the the natural um, patterns of the seasons back as close as they can so hopefully this new season that's about to start will finish kind of May or June and the next season after that will be an August to May one again so yeah that's important I, w- I will say while talking about Griffin Park and saying goodbye um, you may have seen online I'm, I'm going to update the Griffin Park book um, which will include the final three seasons and and then obviously the final games um, and there's some really excellent uh, new material that's going to go in that. Um, there's a couple of articles and, and pieces. Um, Jim Levac has written just incredible farewell Griffin Park poem. Um, if you want to get your name in the book um, for, the, for the reprint, I'm probably going to extend it to the end of this week coming. Um, I'll, I'll put all the dates actually online. But uh, it's been really popular and there's lots of fans that want to get their, their granddad's and their great-granddad's names because when we did the original naming book, the, the stadium was still going to be around. But it's, it's kind of like now that it's it, the power of the actual, what the significance of what's happened is kind of is hitting. So it's important, I think, for as many fans to have their names in, in the book as, as they want. If you've already, if you bought the original copy, your name's going to appear in it automatically. You haven't got to do anything. No one's trying to get you to buy a second copy of the book. Um, if you want, um, you know, it's going to be a very limited edition and it's going to be different in terms of format but uh yeah so I'll, I'll 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 do that on twitter and do that online so yeah so if you want to get your name in it or re- you know remember um a fan of the past there's an opportunity to get their name in there there you go the the 
Griffin Park book, which is going to be out very, very soon. Like I said to you, everything is all coming together. Like I said, the new season is coming together, which is not going to be in Griffin Park. It's going to be in New Griffin Park, as we call it, you know. Um, when are we going to find out what it's called? It's called New Griffin Park as well. That's what it's called. Everyone. Can we agree? Yeah, yeah, it's agreed. Yeah, New Griffin Park. So the Caribou Cup is going to start on the Saturday, the 5th of September. That's the week before the season starts. That's actually international weekend. And then rounds two, three and four, we played on consecutive midweek dates starting off the 15th or the 16th of September. September. Um, that's when Premier League sides come into the competition. So uh, basically, it's going to be going all the way through and sort of rattling through. So we'll almost have the cup finished by sort of like the end of October, which is a, a little bit mad. So the, the draw for that is actually on Tuesday coming, which is the 18th of August. In fact, I think that's quite a good idea. If, if you know, I know we said about exceptional circumstances, but from from a sponsor's perspective, they're going to get like a really intense kind of blast of Carabao sponsorship rather than it being spread out over the season. I can can see that making sense, to be honest with you. And also, I think the FA Cup, from what I can... And the FA Cup, from what I can gather... I don't believe there's going to be any replays as well, so I think it's going to be going bang, 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 FA Cup all the way through just to stop the fixture congestion. So hopefully, like I said to you, we can finish the season by the end of May because we've got the European Championships, obviously, which was cancelled for last season, which, again, we've said this before, look, fingers crossed, Ollie Watkins is going to be in the side, probably not with Brentford, unfortunately, but in the England squad. So uh, it's going to be quite an exciting period. So, like I said to you, 12th of September is when the fixtures are going to kick off. And it goes all the way through to, again, the playoff final weekend. And I don't even believe I've just said that. It's going to be bank holiday weekend, the 29th to the 31st of May. So it looks like the the season's going to finish again, which is the first weekend in May, the bank holiday weekend, which is when it normally finishes. And like I said, much more midweek games. We don't know what's going to be happening about fans of the stadium as yet. They're talking about the idea of maybe fans being allowed back in October. Maybe it's only 5,000 fans might be allowed in. Maybe it's a third capacity. There's all sorts of stuff going on. But we know for a fact that for the first month, at least, it's going to be on TV and we don't know whether or not it's going to be on iFollow, whether or not it's going to be on Sky, where it's going to be. I mean, I'm in a meeting with the EFL next week, actually, and I think we'll be discussing that. I'm not sure whether or not I'll be able to reveal the information straight away, but I'm sure that information will come out from that meeting as to what is going to be happening um, during the back end of the COVID period as it is. And uh, I'll relay that information to you as soon as I can do. Finally, we're going to just finish off on a little bit of positivity with Brentford. So look, we might not have won against Fulham in the player final, our ninth loss in a row. I keep going on about that because I believe at some stage that has got to change. But I don't believe this season was all that bad. I think there's a number of positives to have come out of this season for Brentford. A number of positives to have come out of the playoffs as well. I think for a start, Brentford, this playoffs has 100% put us on the map. We think that everyone has heard about us, but that's not the case at all. There's so many people that haven't heard from us. And I've noticed the difference between when you're even at a playoff semi-final or you're a playoff final. So many people will say, I'm going to watch it. I've heard about you. People I know that don't even know about football were messaging me going, good luck, Billy. You know, this is a really big game for you. I've heard this is the biggest game in the world. My cousins, my aunts, people from around the world, people from you know Arkansas and Texas and, and California were messaging me saying we just saw you know on ESPN people are talking about your team Brentford I never heard of them before so I have now so I think that this has definitely put us on the map and even though we lost I think that it's kind of like we ain't disappearing so if we when we come back again people will be going oh that's that team that you know lost last year who we heard was men a win but they weren't quite good enough 
but they're there again and I think that is a massive massive positive Laney have you got any positives yeah if you, t- if you take the final out of the equation and the feeling at the end of that match you, you, you have to be honest and say it's the, the best season of our Brentford supporting lives and, that, and that's a fact we played some of the most incredible football um, we had some of the best players I've ever seen grace a red and white stripe not a blue not a blue and goals get, hopefully get rid of that sh- shirt now um, so uh, looking back over the season it, it was just stunning um, we know where the bar is set um, we know that if we carry on where we left off over you know over the last two months we stand every chance of finishing the job off properly next season so the positive is yeah it was a kick in the nuts but I, I see no reason for us not to be challenging there again next season and we've got the experience to, 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 to learn from so that's, that's a huge positive we're, we're still the best team I've ever seen um, as a Brentford fan so if you can't get excited about that then you know you need your head searching Yeah my positive over the last positives going forward is we've got some brilliant players still you know one or two three we might lose but as Laney said last season was absolutely brilliant to, to be a Brentford fan one of my best ever and luckily for me we decided to go and buy season tickets again only to make sure we're obviously at the last game of the season and of course it didn't happen but hey ho my last game was a 5-0 win but I'm always positive once a B always a B and I've mentioned it before, Sky journalists admitting that they are wrong, which means that everyone's starting to understand a little bit more about what Brentford is about now as well. I think that's a, that's a big bonus. And the fact that players actually want to come and play for us. So it was a real hassle beforehand. I mean, I know I worked for a small independent record label before, a big independent record label, but trying to sign artists was a nightmare because people thought, why do we go to you? We can go to Sony or Universal or any of the big majors. And so we found it really hard signing players. And we had to set up a style of how we did our music and promoted it. And we were very good at doing it. And eventually down the line, we got, you know, big stars coming like, you know, Craig David and other people like that, you know, who's actually started to make big hit records. But it's only because of the hard work we did from the grassroots level. So I've seen that for Brentford. They're doing exactly the same thing. It's been hard work, but we've done the right thing. And eventually down the line, now people are going, actually, I get it. And I think that is a massive, massive bonus. And it's going to set us up for the future. The Allard, what are your thoughts on this? You know, to be fair, Ted talks about the inevitability of Brentford getting to the Premier League. If we leave the structure in place and if Matthew Benham stays interested, we will be in the Premier League. Do you really believe that, Matt? I do believe it, yeah. So this is the besotted Pride of West London post-playoff final podcast. And I feel a little bit better. After talking about all of that lot, listen, we might have lost to Fulham. We lost the, the battle. But we're not going to lose the war because we're still there and we're still fighting. We're going to come back. We've got a good side. We've got a good setup. Everyone now recognises that we're good. We're going to get some more players in next season. And I really do truly believe we'll be there fighting and competing next season, just as everybody else has said the same thing. Lady, how do you feel? Are you suggesting it's going to be a season of bees up, full and down, Bill? I, I didn't really want to actually kind of go there, Laney. But as you mention it, I think it could be a high probability that there could be a bit of bees up, full and down action going on. Joe, what do you think? Oh, I totally agree with that. I've already told him indoors that we're going to pass him on the way and I'll be waving. (laughs) We'll all be waving. So listen, 
have yourselves an absolutely fantastic summer. Don't forget to check out the Ted Knutson podcast on prideofwest.london as well. We might come back to you in a few weeks' time because we might feel like it, you know, after sitting on the beach or whatever we're going to do for a few days. And we think, actually, we need to talk more football. But as it goes now, we're sitting here in the verdict in the magistrate's court where I was years and years and years ago. But we won't talk about that now, as we say, because we're Brentford and we didn't win the mid final. Well, it doesn't really matter because we're coming back again in a few weeks' time and then everyone forgot about that story, as we say. Come, come on, you me. TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.